This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we give you the lowdown on the new Flex Group Convert functionality in ONTAP 9.7. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio with me today on the phone. Uh, some flex group people because I like to do flex groups. Uh, so on the phone, Dan Tennant. Hi, Dan. Hi. So, Dan, what do you do here at NetUp? Uh, I'm the director of software engineering for our scale waffle and analytics group. So that includes flex groups. Do we have a DL that we can point people to maybe? Like NG flex groups info, perhaps? That That is perfect. I am... I am you know, along with one at least one other person on this podcast, uh, I am on that list, and uh, I, I do I do get those emails, so that's a great way to get in touch. All right, excellent. NG Flex Groups info or NG dash Flex Groups dash info. So also on the phone, uh, Jessica Peters is here. So Jessica, what do you do here at NetApp? Hi, um, I'm an engineer in the Flex Group team. Uh, so I've been working on Flex Groups since its inception, and before that, I was working on our Infinite Volume product. So what specifically are you working on these days, Jessica? Uh, Well, we're working on a conversion feature to allow you to transform a FlexFall into the root of a new Flex group. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you say conversion? Hey, what does that mean? Uh, It means that you can uh, take your FlexFall, leave all the data in place, um, and non-disruptively turn it into a Flex group and then start expanding. Excellent. So um, I, I was aware that that's what that was, but I want everyone else to know what that was. And I want Jessica to tell you because she's been working on it so hard. Um, but eventually we're going to get to the finer details about that. But before we do that, I want Dan to give us the flex group overview. Because like, if you're not familiar with what a flex group is, you probably should know. So 10,000 foot view, a flex group is a scale, our scale out container uh, equivalent in, in most ways to a flex wall and functionality, but you can scale it across multiple flex walls, multiple nodes, aggregates, uh, really allowing you to get the full capacity and performance of your cluster in whatever container you need it in. Excellent. And um, it's NAS only, right? So no, no SAN features, no LUNs, that sort Correct. of thing. Correct. Um, so as far as flex groups go, I mean, we've had that feature functionality since 9.1. Uh, more or less. Now we've evolved over the years. We've added new features on and on. What do we have new in ONTAP 9.7? Uh, in 9.7, so as you touched on earlier, conversion is, is one of the big ones. Um, NFS v4 support is another one that's been hotly anticipated by a lot of folks. Flex clone of, of a flex group, uh, enabling uh, some of the uh, different workflows that are built around that in the, in the build environment and in, in uh, other areas. Um, support for flex cache, so flex groups as the origin of a flex cache relationship, that's new. Um, and NDMP support. So um, as far as NDMP support goes, you know, a flex group can have hundreds of billions of files. Is, is that something that we want to... And DMP the entirety of? Well, not every flex group has hundreds of millions of files. So some folks will want to do it at the flex group granularity, but it does also support uh, uh, backup of a, of a subdirectory. So you can 
kind of scope it to whatever granularity you want, and the performance should be uh, comparable to what it would be in a in a flex vol for the same amount of data that you're trying to back up at a time. Yeah, so I, I guess the idea is you don't want to NDMP billions of files if you can help it. Yeah, I, you, you probably won't be able to complete your backup cycle before you need to start the next one if you try to you know, back up petabytes uh, via NDMP. It's kind of, by its, by its nature, it's a a bit of a single threaded protocol, uh, you know, so it's not, it's not great at handling large, uh, large data sets like that. So we also added uh, VAAI support. Is that right? That is correct. So that's kind of staging some of the, some of the things that we'll need to kind of claim full virtualization workload support, right? That's, that's one of the plugins there. Uh, so, you know, one, one of the pieces of the puzzle, I, I don't think in 9.7 we're saying that uh, we're fully ready for all, all virtualization workflows, but we are, we are working towards that. So what sort of things would we need to do to get there? Uh, so, so file cloning uh, is one of the big missing pieces and uh, file, you know, single file restore. Uh, there are some other, you know, integration pieces with, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of plugins that I'm, I'm newly learning about. I'm kind of new to the virtualization ecosystem, right? But we have lots of different plugins that work in that, that hook into the VMware tools to, you know, enable seamless usage of, of volumes. And uh, those all need to work, you know, smoothly with flex groups and um, make sure that you get the right performance and, and balancing that you would expect with a single large data store. Excellent. So, you know, we can expect that sort of thing possibly in the future for, for virtualization workloads. But right now, you know, basically it's not officially supported. It works. Nobody's stopping you, but uh, there are features that you might, you might be missing. Let's go back to flex group conversion. Why would I want to convert a flex vol to a flex group? What's my benefit there? If you want to, right, I mean, there's, there's kind of two main advantages of a flex group over, over a Flexball, maybe maybe you could call it three, right? But so in some instances, you need to go beyond the capacity limits of a of a flexball, right? So if you have a workload that's growing over time and you want to get beyond the hundred terabyte limit, right, you might need to convert that to a flex group. Um, same goes for performance, right? If you if you have a workload that has a really high bandwidth uh, workload, you know, from from multiple different clients. Um, you can reach the point where you're going to hit the single volume bottleneck on a, you know, either for CPU utilization or just certainly, you know, purely the number of nodes and, and the bandwidth that they have, right? Um, you might you might hit that limit as well. So some flex groups aren't actually that large; they just need that performance capacity. And then there's just the simplicity piece to, um, you know, as your workload grows, not having to manageable manage multiple different flex walls and, and having a single flex group. There's also the aspect of not painting yourself into a corner, right? So with a flex vol, if you get to a point where you're at 100 terabytes capacity, you then have nowhere else to go. <laughs> uh, with the flex group, you can add more member volumes, and then you can just grow linearly across your cluster. So you can add more nodes, add more disk, and, and grow without taking any outages. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that said, I mean, there... The convert process is new, and it's not going to be for everyone right away. So why might I not want to convert right away? I would say you might not want to convert right away if you have um, some, if you're using some of the features on a flex wall that aren't yet supported on a flex group. 
uh, and the list of those is getting smaller and smaller every release. So things like storage virtual machine DR, uh, if you need to do fan out snap mirrors or cascading snap mirrors, some of the data protection stuff hasn't been completed. Or like we mentioned before, virtualization, right? If you're still doing virtualization on a FlexVol, you might want to hold off until we have fully qualified it. So, you know, we've we've talked about why we'd want to convert and why we might not want to convert, you know, features being the main reason. Um, how does it work? Like, how do we, how are we converting this FlexVol to a Flex group? Am I having to copy data to a Flex group? No, you don't have to do any copy at all. Um, so it's a completely in-place transition. Um, no copying, uh, no client disruption. So uh, we start off by doing some pre-checks against the volume. So we're going to check all of your configuration. Um, just double check to make sure that everything, you're, all the features you're using on the FlexVol are supported on the Flex group, um, that you're not doing any kind of other operations at the same time that might conflict with conversion and so on. And once we're sure that you're safe to go, um, we basically just update some internal data structures, um, change a few things on the volume, uh, and you're ready to go. So we also do a, a remount of the volume, right? And that's internal to ONTAP. Yes. So internally, um, we do do a remount. Uh, that's not something that would be visible to clients. Uh, it's a very fast operation. Um, so there's no uh, external uh, outage, but internally we just basically bounce the volume up and down. And when it comes back up, um, it uh, comes up as a flex group. So the things I've been seeing, it's been touting like a 40 seconds or less uh, potential disruption, sort of like a storage failover. Is that accurate? Yes. And in most cases, what we've seen is that it's quite a lot less than that. So we say 40 seconds because um, that's kind of a, a standard number that we use to avoid outage for SIFS clients, uh, any SMB clients. Um, but typically, conversion is quite a lot faster than that on the order of seconds or maybe tens of seconds. And that's basically just the time it takes for that volume to remount. Yeah, the remount part itself actually is very fast, usually just a few seconds. So the entire conversion process, uh, typically have seen it take um, 20 to 30 seconds, uh, but that includes all of the validation steps. Is that time uh, consistent no matter how much data or how many files are in the volume, or does it vary depending on how much data is in the volume? It doesn't depend on the data because we don't do anything with the data. Actually, we don't touch the data at all. We were only touching some of the metadata for the volume. So it doesn't depend on the size of the volume or how full it is at all. So if I've got a volume that's got several billion files in it and I want to move to a flex group, I don't have to migrate that data manually. I can use in-place conversion and do it in a matter of seconds. Exactly. That's good. Because <laughs> people before were having to copy all that. And when you're dealing with that many files, those operations can take days. Yep. In this case, it's always just a few seconds. Excellent. So... um and I, and I tested this in the lab. I mean, I've been working with conversion and trying to like understand it a little better. And I was running a test where I would run a script for, you know, it took five minutes to run. And then I would do a conversion and I would monitor the performance and do like statistics show periodic. And all I saw was a slight drop in IOPS during this conversion process, like just for like a five second period and it was done. Yeah. So that would be during the remount. You might see internally a slight little blip in performance. Um, but that shouldn't affect the connectivity of your clients or anything. They should resume and just keep going from Excellent. where they left off. Excellent. So we didn't make this way too complicated. So that's good. And it's also good because, I mean, previously, you know, with moving from a new platform or a new OS or a new volume type, we were basically making people copy everything and that was it. 
they call it a forklift upgrade, right? Or a forklift migration. In this case, we're doing it in place and you don't have to move anything. Yeah, that's right. All right. So um, you mentioned that we do some checks. Um, what sort of things are we checking for? And what sort of things would be blocking the ability to convert a flex vault into a flex group? Uh, so we're really checking for two different kinds of things. Um, configuration that you might have set up on the volume. Uh, so an example there is that we don't allow you to convert a volume that's already uh, part of another flex group. So it has to be a flex vol. Um, we don't allow you to convert a volume that is an origin of a flex cash relationship yet, at least. So some of the other things I found uh, to be blockers. Uh, so SMB1, if it's enabled on the, S on the SVM, we block it because we want to prevent access to the volume through SMB1, right? Yeah, that's right. We don't support SMB1 on flex groups. That's right. Um, if you have a LUN on the volume, like if you've been using this volume for NAS and SAN, we block that. Um, yeah. we, we block it if there's an upgrade in process. So if like if an upgrade didn't finish or you're in the middle of an upgrade, we don't let you do that. Um, we block it if flex clones are present, if a flex cache is present, storage efficiencies are enabled. There's a lot of things here that we block because we want to make sure that everything is going to be smooth in the conversion. Yeah, that's right. And the upgrade really falls into kind of the second category, which is uh, other operations you might be doing against the volume or against the uh, cluster that are not compatible with conversion. So an upgrade is a good example. Um, we won't allow you to convert if you're in the middle of moving the volume, for example, um, just to keep those things kind of separate. So we also don't allow you to uh, convert if you have snapshots that have snapshot IDs that are greater than 255. Can you walk me through why that might be the case? Uh, yeah, that is true. Uh, the reason for that is that we don't yet support um, the higher numbers of snapshot identifiers on a flex group. Uh, so we can't uh, allow those to go through the conversion. But in the future, once we do support that, we will lift that restriction. Okay. And um, another thing that might block us um, would be a seven mode transition volume. So if we had a volume that existed in seven mode, and then we use the seven mode transition tool to move it to clustered on tap, if it's set to that flag of seven, is, is, is transition true, uh, we will block that. So why do we block that? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, Basically, when we transition a, a volume from seven mode, it's possible that there are still some things in the on-disk structures um, that although we support them in C mode on flex falls, we never supported those on flex groups because up until now, you were always creating your flex groups fresh uh, on a kind of relatively recent C mode cluster. Um, so we just have some uh, on-disk things in those seven mode volumes that we're not able to deal with in a flex group. Uh, and that's why we don't support converting those volumes. Yeah, and I guess that's, more of a, it currently don't support it, right? I guess we're working on trying to resolve that problem. Yeah, I would think that we will uh, try to resolve it in a future release. All right. So as far as um, flex groups go, I mean, there's an option in the in the vServer level or the NFS server level. Is it vServer, NFS server? One of those levels, 64-bit file IDs. So that's basically a option that allows us to expand beyond the 32-bit integer of 2 billion files. What sort of considerations do we need to make if we only have flex vols in our environment and we have that 32-bit file ID, what do we need to plan for with that? Well, we do recommend that you use 64-bit identifiers when you're using a flex group. Uh, but like you said, that is a vServer level option. So if you change it, you have to change it for all the vols in the vServer, and that is a disruptive operation. Um, so 
if you would like to make that change, if you plan to expand your flex group uh, beyond into a large number of files, you can make it either before or after the conversion. Either way is fine. Yeah, and disruptive meaning that once you change it, you have to unmount and remount the volume so that you get the new file IDs. That's right. So all of your clients will start to get uh, still e-stale errors back, um, and they NFS clients, and then they will have to remount, unmount, and remount um, to start getting the fresh identifiers. Right, and that's basically a NFS only scenario. I mean, it doesn't have it doesn't impact SMB clients. No, not at all. So as far as that. Uh, 64-bit identifier piece goes. I had a question in my insight session. Uh, somebody asked me, hey, you know, this 64-bit file identifier, does it affect only volume level or does it affect the entire SVM? And basically the implication was that, you know, we get 2 billion files based on the 32-bit integer. Is that 2 billion files for the volume or is that 2 billion files for the entire SVM? So w- what's the differences there? So the answer there is a little bit complicated. It depends on your vServer level NFS settings. Uh, we have a the the uniqueness requirement from the client is actually for the pair of FSID, which is file system identifier, and file ID, the file identifier. Uh, so what we actually require is that the pair of those needs to be unique. We have an option uh, at the vServer NFS level to allow you to configure whether you want when you have volumes junction together into a vServer, um, do you want them all to present the same FSID? or does each volume present a separate FSID? So depending on how you have that option set, if everybody's got the same FSID, then you can have collisions between file IDs between different volumes. Um, So there you're really talking 2 billion for the entire vServer. If you have FSID change so that FSIDs are different on each volume that's exported, uh, then you don't get collisions across the volumes. So it would be 2 billion per volume. Yeah, and that, that option is on by default. So basically, by default, every volume has a unique FSID. That's correct, yeah. So that, that solves that confusing problem. That's good. Um, as far as um, converting a flex vol to a flex group goes, I mean, we have to kind of also consider the capacity of the volume when we start to convert, right? So I guess the idea here is when you convert a flex vol to a flex group, you end up with a single member flex group volume which means that if you have a flex vault that's at 100 terabytes and 90 terabytes is used up, you don't want to create a flex group with a 90 terabyte used up flex vault necessarily, right? Yeah, that's probably the case. Um, we do need a, a very small amount, just a few gigabytes of space on the volume to actually perform the conversion itself since we need to change a few of the metafiles on disk. Um, so if you're completely 100% full, uh, we won't be able to convert. Um, it's also true that, as you say, the flex, the resulting flex group where you have one extremely full constituent and a bunch of empty constituents after you expand, um, it might take some time for that usage as you ingest new content for that usage to balance out across your new volumes. So you're definitely going to see a lot of traffic to that root constituent um, at, at the beginning. Yeah, and beyond that, I mean, you're also looking at if you have files that are growing, you could potentially still run out of space in a member volume. Um, we don't redistribute after the fact, so we don't rebalance that data. It stays where it is and just lives there. Yeah, that's right. So that's an excellent point. Yes, I mean, it, and, uh, it, yeah, go ahead, Dan. So I was going to say, one of the, one of the uh, things that came in 9.6 is elastic sizing, which allows us to kind of tweak the uh, sizes of the volumes to to kind of avoid running out of space in those scenarios. And if you do have 
one of your constituents up at that 100 terabyte limit kind of takes away the effectiveness of that feature. Yeah, once you're at 100 terabytes, you're basically stuck there. So in those cases, you might still want to consider migrating data to a flex route manually through copy base as opposed to converting. Correct. Um, and, and honestly, like some of the, in some cases, the data is going to eventually churn out and become you know stale and get deleted. So that might not be a problem. But we can also leverage something called Fabric Pool, which will allow us to tier inactive data off to cloud or on-prem S3. How does Convert interact with Fabric Pool? Uh, actually, it doesn't at all. So there's no impact on your tiered data. There's no impact on your Fabric Pool configuration. It just works. Right. So it's just basically if you're using Fabric Pool, don't worry about it. It's already there. Um, as far as storage efficiencies go, what if I've saved a bunch of space with dedupe or compression? Does that go away once I've converted? Nope. Nope. It all stays. Uh, all of your space savings stay just this, just the same as they were. Okay. So this all sounds really good. So let's say I'm convinced and I want to go convert, and I do that. Um, is there any chance for me to go back and unconvert? Do I do I go back to a flex fall, or, do I, or am I basically stuck at a flex group? Once you've converted, um, you really can't unconvert. Uh, we have an emergency support procedure uh, in the case something goes wrong. Uh, but in the normal case, once you're on the flex group, uh, you'll stay there. Yeah, I mean, you're no basically one, no one would ever want to go backwards once they get to flex groups. Well, that's true. I mean, they, you know, why would you want to? But you know, there's always going to be that question, right? Just like the question we get of why can't I rebalance data? Well, you you don't really need to, but um, if you want to, you you can always move data around. But ultimately, flex group takes care of that for you. ONTEP takes care of it because the idea here is simplicity. It's not having you manage your data manually. So, is there anything that I need to think about before I start? doing my conversion, you know, things I need to plan for, how would I go about converting? I, I don't necessarily want to just run the command. What can I do to plan for that? Well, the best thing that you can do um, is the conversion command actually has an option called check only. Um, and that will have us run all of those. I mentioned that we do a bunch of pre-checks and a bunch of validation before we uh, actually start the conversion process. Um, so that will run just those pre-checks, just the validation and tell you the results so that you can check and see what configurations you might need to look at, and also so that you can make sure that there are no other kind of conflicting operations happening at the same time. Also, in general, um, not doing other kind of major maintenance operations, such as an upgrade, at the same time as a, uh, as a conversion would be a good idea. And I, I have a life hack if you're really, like kind of gun shy about doing this, right? So let's say you want to convert your FlexVol, but you're really nervous about it and you don't want to worry about things happening. ONTAP has the ability to create other SVMs. So you can have another SVM you create, another data lift. ONTAP also has the ability to do flex clones. So you can create a flex clone of that volume. You can split that clone and then you can rehost that volume from SVM1 to SVM2. Now you have an exact copy of that volume on a different SVM. Now you can run the convert process on that volume on the other SVM so you can test the data out and make sure it works fine for you. And then when you're done, you blow it away and you do the convert on the real volume. That's an excellent idea. See? I come up with ideas sometimes. Uh, SnapMirror can also work. If you have SnapMirror, you can SnapMirror from SVM1 to SVM2, right? So if, if you're feeling kind of nervous about it, you know, feel free to do that. Like, we have the ability. Any other uh, things we want to consider before we do our conversion, Jessica? No, I think that should be it. Uh, the goal is for it to be simple. We're really excited. That this is something that a lot of our customers have been pushing for. Um, you know, people who want to get to the, the goodness of flex groups, but 
has existing data sets that are just aren't practical for them to copy forward. So people have been asking this for a long time. I'm really excited to see it come out. And I think that it, it looks pretty good on the first pass. I mean, I've been playing around with it. And it, it works as expected. It takes very little time to do, and I don't have to move anything. All right, Dan, Jessica, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us all about the goodness of Flex Group conversion. Again, Dan, if we had questions about Flex Group, how do we do that? ng-flexgroup-info at netapp.com. That's right. And that's an external DL. So if you want to email us from outside of NetApp, you just do flexgroups-info at netapp.com and it'll get to us. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Dan Tennant and Jessica Peters for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.